Chapter 33 Angulimala A frightful calm now came over me as I returned to my room. There was nothing more to be considered, no doubt to be combated, no more questions to be answered. All was decided. His karma had ordained it so. By his double treachery, his life was plainly forfeit to me and to Angulimala. So great was this calm that I fell asleep the instant I laid myself down on my couch, as though my whole being were anxiously endeavouring to bridge over the empty hours of waiting. When it became dark, I went to the terrace. The moon had not yet risen. I had not long to wait. Angulimala's powerful figure swung itself over the parapet and came straight to the bench on which I sat, half averted from him. I did not move, and, without raising my eyes from the pattern of the coloured marble tiles, I spoke. What you wish to learn, I know. Everything. The hour when he leaves, the strength of his escort, the direction he takes, and the roads and paths over which he goes. Under the influence of his own bad karma, he himself forced his confidence upon me. Otherwise, I would have known nothing of it, for I could never have drawn it from him by feigned tenderness. I had considered these words well, for so foolish are we in our pride that even now, when I was making myself the tool of a criminal, it was to me an unendurable thought that I should appear lower in his eyes than I really was. No less studied were my next words. Of all this, however, you will not hear one syllable unless you first promise that you will only kill, but in no way torture him, and that you will kill only him, and not even one of his escort, unless it be necessary in self-defence. I will, however, indicate a spot to you where you can deal him his death-blow when he is absolutely alone, and so without any kind of fray. This, therefore, you must promise me with a solemn oath. Otherwise you can kill me, but not one word more shall you hear. Truly as I have been, to this day, a faithful servant of Mother Kali, replied Angulimala, so truly will I kill none of his escort, and so truly shall he suffer no torture. Good, I said. I will trust you. Now then, listen, and note every detail exactly. If you have accomplices in the town, you will have learned already that preparations are being made for advancing against the robbers tomorrow. That is, however, all empty show to deceive you. In reality, Satagira, escorted by thirty horsemen, rides from the town by the south gate an hour after midnight, leaves the Singsapa wood lying to his left, and sweeps out in a more southerly direction in order then to move eastward over the byways through the hill country. And I now gave him an absolutely exact description of the neighbourhood, including the narrow ravine through which Satagira would have to pass, and where he could easily and surely be killed. An oppressive silence followed my words, during which I heard nothing save my own hard breathing. I felt that I had not yet strength to rise and leave the terrace as I had planned to do. Finally Angulimala spoke, and the gentle, even sad note in his voice surprised me to such a degree that I was almost terrified and started involuntarily. And so it would have happened, said he. And you, the tender, gentle wife, who has assuredly never intentionally injured even the smallest of creatures, would now have been in alliance with the vilest of human beings, a wretch whose hands drip blood. Yes, the murder of your husband would have burdened your conscience 
and would now be spinning its black karmic threads on a downward path on into the infernal world. That is, so it would have been if you had now been speaking to the robber Angulimala. I didn't know whether I could believe my ears. To whom else had I spoken then? It was certainly the voice of Angulimala, even if with that wonderful change of tone. And as I turned abruptly round, now thoroughly dismayed and confused, and looked intently at him, it was beyond all doubt the robber chieftain who stood before me, even if, in his whole bearing, another character seemed to be expressed than that which on the previous day had held me in its fearful thrall. But have no fear, noble lady, he added. All this has not yet happened. Nothing has happened. Not any more than if you had addressed your speech to this tree. These words were as puzzling to me as those that had preceded them. But I did understand that, for some reason, he had given up his plan of vengeance on Satagira. After I had worked myself up through frightful inner struggles to such an unnatural pitch of crime, this sudden, incomprehensible melting away, this ghost-like loss of action, was a disappointment which I could not bear. The unusual strain to which my whole nature had been subjected found vent in a stream of abuse which I hurled in Angulimala's face. I called him a dishonourable villain, a faithless empty braggart, a cowardly cheat, and much more. The worst names I could think of, for I hoped that when insulted in this way, the man, notorious throughout Jambudvipa for his violent temper, would stretch me lifeless on the ground with one blow of his iron fist. But when I stopped, more because breath failed me than words did, Angulimala answered with a softness of tone that quite put me to shame. All this and more have I deserved from you. Yet with it, I do not believe that you would have been able to so irritate even the old Angulimala that he would have killed you. For I can see that to accomplish this is your intention. But even if another had now said this and worse, I would not only have borne it quietly, but would indeed have been grateful to them for giving me the opportunity of undergoing a useful test. Has not the Master himself taught me? Like the earth, you should exercise evenness of temper, even as one casts upon the earth both that which is clean and that which is unclean, and the earth is neither pleased nor horrified, humiliated or disgusted at that, so also, like the earth, exercise evenness of temper, so that pleasant and unpleasant experiences will not invade your mind and remain. For you speak, Varsity, not with the rubber, but with the Upazaka, the disciple Angulimala. What kind of disciple? What master? I asked, with contemptuous impatience, although the strange speech of this incomprehensible man did not fail to exercise a peculiar, almost fascinating effect upon me. He whom they call the Tathagata, the knower of the worlds, the fully enlightened one, the Buddha, he answered. He is the master. Have you not heard of him before now? I shook my head. I count myself happy, he exclaimed, in that I am the first from whose lips you hear the name of the Blessed One. If Angulimala once, as robber, did you much harm, as a disciple he has now done you far more good. Who is this Buddha? I asked in the same tone, without wishing to let it be seen how much my sympathy had been awakened. What has he to do with this strange behaviour of yours, and what blessing is hearing his name supposed to bring to me? Even to hear the name of him whom they call the Welcome One, said Angulimala, is like the first shimmer of light to one who sits in darkness. But I will relate everything to you, how he met me, and how he changed the current of my life. For it is certain that its happening on this very day has principally been on account of his concern for your welfare. In spite of the fierceness which emanated from his whole being, even on the first of these two evenings a certain grace of bearing in him had surprised me. How much more striking, however, was the unsought dignity with which he now sat down beside me, 
like one who feels himself amongst his equals.